Hello and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On this show, you'll find a mix of the latest news in the tech world, including privacy, infosec, startups, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and practical everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-C-O-F-F-E-Y underscore, and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Coffee and Code. Today, I'll be talking about how Burning Man is going virtual, Google Plus's class action lawsuit, and how Google is turning Android phones into seismometers. Let's dive in. Burning Man is going virtual. For decades, Burning Man has represented an escape from the current reality. An event for freer spirits to rethink New Age ideals and set a stateless entity where art, music, and partying reign supreme on the desert plains. <clears throat> if any of you listening have been to Burning Man, I would love to hear from you. I have so many questions. Over the years, the Bay Area-founded event has dealt with an internal clash as the gathering has grown larger and attracted a heavy presence from Silicon Valley's wealthy tech class, with tales of a turnkey experiences, air-conditioned camps, helicopters, and lobster dinners. Now, under the shadow of a historic pandemic, the organization behind the massive, iconic event is desperately working to stick to its roots while avoiding financial ruin as it pivots the 2020 festival to a digital format with the pro bono help of some of its tech industry attendees. With just a few weeks before the event is set to kick off, the organization is bringing together a group of technologists with backgrounds in virtual reality, blockchain, hypnotism, and immersive theater to create a web of hacked-together social products that they hope will capture the atmosphere of Burning Man. Going virtual is an unprecedented move for an event that's mere existence already seems to defy precedent. Burning Man is held in late August every year inside Nevada's Black Rock Desert. For nine days, the attendees, who refer to themselves as burners, fill up the desolate landscape with massive art installations, stages, and camps. Attendance has been climbing over the past several decades to the point that the federal government got involved, creating a more than 170-page report arguing why the event's attendance should be capped. More than 78,000 people attended Burning Man in 2019. It's an escape from society and a shared social experience that doesn't seem to be replicable elsewhere. So what about the multiverse? Steven Blumenfeld became the CTO of Burning Man days before the organization's leaders publicly announced that, due to COVID, the physical event was being abruptly canceled and the team was going all in on a virtual gathering. Though the serial CTO expected the position to largely involve crusty tasks maintaining the event's media infrastructure, 
He soon pressed to rethink the front end of a sprawling event that decades old and steeped in lore. He said, my first inclination is great. Let's go build a big 3D VR world, blah, 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 blah. That was a quote. So then I spent the first two weeks looking at that and what I had for the staff and the time frame and what we could actually do, Blumenfield says. There was just no way. And, you know, I actually still wanted to do it. I wanted a challenge, but the reality was it just wasn't going to happen. Burning Man is a massive undertaking with a particularly deep emotional hold inside San Francisco, where it was first held in 1986, and by extension, Silicon Valley. It isn't all that surprising that when the Burning Man project announced the event was making the move to a digital format, there was a rapid influx of community input to help decipher what an on-the-grid virtual Burning Man might look like. Some of the groups that reached out to the Burning Man project were companies that were willing to build a Burning Man experience but wanted official branding present. Despite a precarious financial position, Burning Man's organizers declined help from these sponsors, citing the org's adherence to decommodification, a desire to prevent corporate infiltration of the event, issuing advertising, branded stages, and corporate partnerships. Turning away from the professional studios, Blumenfeld and others settled on a network of small indie teams filled with burners that were willing to develop the official digital experiences for the event on their own time, which is amazing. Another official app, Build-A-Burn, takes the idea of a stylized 2D interface for video chat even further with a sketched out grayscale map of Blackrock City that users can navigate little stick figures across. As a user moves through different camps and their avatars get physically close to each other, new video chat screens fade in and users can gain the experience of venturing into a social bubble. Multiverse creator Fayar Ghazanfari, who runs an AR startup and previously worked on Tesla's legal team, says that the motivations for building his app were a bit on the selfish side. He said, he became extremely sad after the physical event's cancellation and felt the need to help build a place where he could reunite with his own camp. Each of the Burning Man approved apps seemed to engage with evoking that shared struggle differently, which appears to be the most looming challenge of moving this event to a virtual format. While the slew of apps hoped to bring elements of the physical event into the virtual spaces, the creators also seem to realize that aiming to compete with attendees' past memories is unwise. It's a challenge that has been faced by dozens of startups in the virtual reality space over the past several years. And with the financial uncertainty, perhaps the biggest unknown, as the organization readies for Burning Man's August 30th start date is that nobody really has any idea how many people are going to show up. Another point of contention internally is how exactly the groups plan to monetize these digital experiences. In 2020, the standard ticket price for Burning Man was $475. That's a lot. The organization postponed the main sale of tickets prior to this year's physical event cancellation, but they had already sold tens of thousands of tickets. Ticket holders will have the option of being refunded, but the organization has encouraged those who, quote, have the means to consider making a full or partial donation of the ticket price instead. In 2018, Burning Man cost $44 million for the organization to produce, according to tax documents. The Burning Man project reported about $43 million in ticket sales from that event, 
with other donations and revenue streams, bringing the nonprofit's total revenue for that fiscal year to about $46 million. That's a lot. (laughs) The interesting nature of the experience being built this year, with some being shipped as native apps, others in HTML5, and others inside existing tech platforms, meant that a unified ticketing platform just wouldn't work. Not all of the developers were thrilled with this outcome, which they fear could fracture attendance at events on certain platforms. But the the biggest concern seemed to be ensuring that all of this effort pays off in some way for the organization so that they continue to host the Burning Man event post-pandemic. The organization has attracted criticism in recent years for the event's inclusiveness. Some of the developers acknowledge that planning for a nine-day trip in the middle of the desert can be daunting and prohibitively expensive for people that want to join the community, and they hope that this year's shift to a digital format will open up the event to more people and that these apps can be a less intimidating way for skeptics to get a taste of the community. And with an eye on the future, none of the developers behind the digital experiences are being paid for their efforts while building these apps. However, the Burning Man project has given at least some of the perpetual licenses to continue operating these digital platforms with the Burning Man name and an option to monetize through a percentage of proceeds will be kicked back to the organization. While getting this event across the finish line by the end of the month is daunting enough, the Burning Man project is also trying to consider how its rapid learnings will apply to next year, though they hope that the physical event returns for 2021. Whether users are connecting via video chat or as avatars inside a large virtual world, the developers building Burning Man's virtual experiences believe they are operating on the cutting edge of virtual interaction and that they are rethinking elements of modern social networking to create a virtual Burning Man where people will be able to form new social bonds. Quote, I've fallen in love with this idea that at some point in the future, some PhD student in 300 years' time is going to write a thesis on the first online Burning Man because it does feel like an extraordinary moment of avant-garde imagineering for what the future of human online interaction looks like, end quote. I will personally be interested to see how this pans out. I enjoy the adaptability that the organization is going with here, especially in the virtual reality element. Um, yeah, so I will follow up whenever Burning Man virtual is is over with to see some some quotes from some attendees that that went that'll be really interesting to read about google faces a five billion dollar lawsuit and you could receive up to twelve dollars in the google plus class action settlement last week many gmail users received an email with an alarming subject line, notice of class action settlement, re-Google+, your rights may be affected. After opening the email, it revealed that recipients were not in fact being sued or scammed, but could claim financial compensation from a $7.5 million settlement over the now defunct Google Plus social platform. The class action lawsuit against the search engine giant was brought by formal Google Plus users after two software bugs in 2018 exposed the personal information of hundreds of thousands of users. 
the private data included names, ages, occupations, and email addresses. In an investigation, the Wall Street Journal actually found the same year that Google was already aware of the problem but opted not to publicly disclose it over concerns of reputational damage and, quote, immediate regulatory interest. Around the same time, in March 2018, social media giant Facebook was under major scrutiny for its own data security after 87 million people's personal data was accessed and repurposed by a consultant for President Trump's 2016 campaign. The matter, along with high-profile hacks at credit bureau Equifax and hotel chain Marriott, heightened oversight from regulators and prompted discussions of new data protection laws. In April of 2019, April of 2019, Google shut down Google Plus for good. At the time, the Mountain View, California company blamed the decision on, quote, low usage. Over a year later, on June 10th, 2020, a federal judge in California granted approval of the class action settlement and directed Google to provide the notification email to Plus users who had set up accounts between 2015 and 2019. So those who submit a claim by October 8th of this year and confirm that their private data was exposed as a result of the software bugs are eligible to receive a whopping cash payment of $12, and that's dependent upon the number of claimants. So if you do decide to um, submit a claim, the claimants waive their right to any future litigation in the case. And those who do not want to be a part of the settlement are required to submit an opt-out form by the same date. So check your email. If you've received this, check your junk box. Um, I received it last week and I had a couple of friends reach out to me um, and ask me if this was a legit email and I felt like that should be covered here. Google is turning Android phones into seismometers interesting. Google is launching a handful of new Android features today that don't really have a lot in common, but are all interesting in their own right. There are updates to Android Auto and Android's emergency location service, new accessibility features thanks to an updated Lookout app, and the promise of better sleep thanks to bedtime tools in the Android Clock app, now rolling out to all Android devices running version 6.0 or later. But the highlight of this release is surely Google's new worldwide earthquake detection system and the new earthquake alerting feature that it's launching for California. With this, Google is essentially turning your Android phone into a seismometer to create what the company says is the largest earthquake detection network. In California, the company is already going a step further, though. Working through the United States Geological Survey and California Governor's Office of Emergency Services, Google is using the ShakeAlert network, which itself uses data from 700 seismometers across the state, to provide earthquake alerts. A few seconds of warning can make a difference in giving you time to drop, cover, and hold on before the shaking arrives. This is interesting. I'm curious if Apple will will follow in this seismometer plan, but I think the few extra moments to prepare yourself can be incredibly beneficial for safety. 
it is now time for your weekly tech tip. If you're an iPhone user, you have probably found yourself out at the grocery store trying to unlock your phone with Face ID only to be shown your passcode unlock because Face ID isn't recognizing your face because you have a mask on. Well, there is a new feature that will help you with that. If you go to settings, scroll down to face ID and passcode, type in your passcode, and there's an option to set up an alternate appearance. So this is great because in addition to continuously learning how you look, face ID can also recognize an alternate appearance. If you'd like to set this up, click on set up an alternate appearance, and then it will guide you through how to position your face in the camera frame. And it will ask you to move your head in a circle to show all of the angles of your face. I think this is great. Whenever the pandemic first hit and we were all transitioning to wearing masks outside of the house, I wondered how long it, it, it would take for Apple to release this feature. So I'm glad that it's out. Definitely give it a, give it a check, um, but very convenient. I hope you found this useful. Thank you for listening. And that's the scoop on coffee and code. If there's a specific topic that you want to hear more about, let me know by visiting anchor.fm forward slash coffee and code forward slash message. I'd love to hear from you. Before I leave you today, I want to give a special thank you to the official partner of Coffee and Code, Just Good Coffee Company. Just Good Coffee offers a carefully crafted selection of coffee from some of the most revered coffee producing regions around the world. Their commitment to offering exceptionally good experiences extends beyond just the products themselves, but extends well into the community. Their mission is simple, to offer good coffee and coffee for good. That is the sole purpose of Just Good Coffee. Be sure to check out their newest culture collection. These blends are carefully crafted and roasted to perfection, each with origins from within the great continent of Africa. You can find them at justgoodcoffee.co. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes of Coffee and Code go live.